0: Hello, and welcome to the Low Tech Podcast. I'm Scott Johnson from the Low Technology Institute, your host for podcast number 14 on January 27th, 2017, coming to you out of the Low Tech Recording Room in Madison, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us. Today's main topic is the open source seed initiative and the future of saving seeds. We'll also have our regular weekly news roundup, research updates, but we won't have a DIY feature this week. Sorry, but instead, we will talk briefly about the story of stuff. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at low underscore techno, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and check out our website, lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com, and there you can find both of our podcasts. Today I'll bring you my interview with the director of the Open Source Seed Initiative and how that organization is working to try and free the seed. So, today I'm here talking with Claire Luby, uh, the director of the Open Source Seed Initiative. So, first of all, what is the Open Source Seed Initiative?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me today. Um, the Open Source Seed Initiative is a nonprofit organization that um, was created uh, to free the seed, uh, so to speak. So, um, we were founded a few years ago by plant breeder seed companies. Um, Seed growers, uh, farmers, who were concerned about consolidation in the seed industry and consolidation of ownership over genetic resources. Um, and so what we were trying to do was create an open source mechanism that was you know, inspired by the free and open source software movement that allows people who want to breed new varieties of plants to have access to that, um, to the genetic diversity present uh, in our seed supply. Seeds are a little different than software, um, Mm -hmm. but there are also some similarities um, in that you can make derivatives with seed, you can save the seed, it is um, self-reproducible to a a certain degree, um, and so uh, preserving those freedoms to save seed, grow seed, plant seed, breed with it, trial it, study it, adapt it to your own region. Um, and so basically the idea is that um, we're creating a protected commons, which is a little different than a normal commons. So uh, a public commons would be, well, basically what seed used to be, <laughs> um, where uh, it was it's available to whoever wants to use it. However, derivatives can actually be restricted in some way. And so the idea behind the open source the open source um, style is that um, it's sort of creating a protected common. So everyone who agrees to share is allowed those you know entire freedom to use, but um, and and that those freedoms will um, remain on on all derivatives. So whether that's of the same um, population, land, race, variety of seed, or um, on a new a new iteration of that. Okay,
0: OSSI or Aussie, I guess, is how you guys refer it. to it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, has a pledge that everybody who uses these seeds takes it so what is that pledge and how does it work
1: yeah so when we were um, working through the process of what this organization would look like we actually went to some lawyers and um, created a, a copyleft type license so like in software where there's actually a, a, a a license that um, is attached to that piece of software, and this was about eight pages long, and no one could decipher it except if you were a lawyer. And we decided, you know, that is just totally impractical for what we're trying to do. It looks exactly like what the corporations that we're trying to be an alternative from um, look like. And so, you know, we were like, can we just develop a short? two-sentence pledge that describes what we're about and and that can be passed along with seed. So, the the pledge is um, that the Open Source Seed Initiative pledge is um, that you have the freedom to use these Aussie-pledged seeds in any way you choose. In return, you pledge not to restrict others' use of these seeds or their derivatives by patents or other means and to include this pledge with any transfer of these seeds or their derivatives. So again, the idea there is, there's a viral effect, right? It um, mm-hmm. is intended to be sort of passed along with, this, with the seeds. And while we, we are intending to be more on the moral or ethical plane with this, um, you know, it may be legally enforceable, we, we're not sure. No one has challenged us, and we hope to not go that route, although, um, mm-hmm. although obviously, if it were... To happen it won't happen <laughs> and this pledge is intended to ensure these four seed freedoms so okay. freedom to save or grow seed for replanting or for any other purpose the freedom to share trade or sell seed to others hmm. the freedom to trial and study seed and to share or publish information about it and the freedom to select or adapt the seed make crosses with it or use it to breed new lines and varieties hmm. so that sort of what we're trying to preserve um, with this system.
0: So do you usually work with companies, individuals, both, and if both, in what capacity?
1: Yeah, so we have a number of different types of partners, and we sort of serve as a, a nexus point for bringing all of these um, different different groups and people together. Um, so we have, um, we work with plant breeders, so these are people breeding new varieties or populations, um, and... We have a lot of independent or freelance plant breeders, so people working, some of them are also farmers, some of them are uh, seed producers, Um, some of them are are really just doing plant breeding in their own gardens or um, small farms. And some of them sort of as a way to recoup some investment in the plant breeding also have small seed companies. So these are often the very alternative, tiny, to small seed companies that we work with. And so we also have seed company partners. So um, we currently work with about 36 different plant breeders, and they've released um, over 300 varieties and populations with under the Aussie Pledge. Um, and then we work with 42 different seed companies currently. And so again, these are mostly very small, regionally focused seed companies. A lot of them are sort of trying to sell and, and adapt varieties specific to their region. And they label Aussie Pledge varieties with the Pledge. Right, The Pledge doesn't restrict actually selling seeds because if you think about it, we, we also base this on the software model. So if people are putting investment into growing out seed, it's not free to grow seed, um, especially if you're growing it in volume and so Um, There still is a way to have some monetary transaction there.
0: Is there a short history that you can give us of Abasi?
1: Jack Kloppenberg wrote a book in the 80s um, called First the Seed and he was describing the situation with the biotech industry and the consolidation of seed companies um, under that model um, going really back all the way to the 1930s with the invention of hybrid corn. He had been writing about these issues for a really long time, and in about 2010, there had been people talking about this sort of idea for a long time, and and Tom Michaels, one of our other board members, had written a GPL, so General Public License for um, Plant Germplasm idea, and that was back in actually the late 90s. And so he and Jack had been talking, and they had been talking with some of the folks internationally who'd been working on the plant treaty, um, who are interested in sort of an alternative or also more equitable benefit sharing for indigenous communities than other plant breeders at public institutions who felt that they really had the mission to working for the public good, right? They're being paid by, by tax dollars and they want to be releasing... Um, material that's available for the public to use and continue to use, and then also a number of these smaller seed companies that sort of want to be selling ethical seed, like don't want to be necessarily only selling varieties that are developed by mega corporations, were also involved. And so it was just this conversation, and sort of centered on this idea of, hey, can we create an open source type system for for plants? And it's really just continued to evolve since then. Um, we became an official. 501c3 in the summer of 2015. Um, and so since then, I'm really trying to nail down how do we work with all these different players and raise awareness about these issues um, with gardeners and farmers, but also with uh, consumers
0: and mm-hmm. eaters. Mm-hmm. I, I know on the website you have a pretty comprehensive list of where you can find them. Is that right?
1: Yeah. When a plant breeder pledges a variety, it goes up on our website along with where that variety is available. So Aussie doesn't actually, we don't actually have any seed ourselves we don't distribute the seed if it's available through a seed company that is listed it's also and if it isn't commercially available a place where people can get small amounts of seed from the breeder um if they want to continue to use it or trial it that that source is also listed
0: okay so if I were say a gardener what would be a benefit to me to using Aussie seeds
1: yeah I mean I think again just Um, knowing where your seeds come from, knowing that the four seed freedoms are insured when you purchase Ossie Pledge seeds. And they're coming with, with no restrictions really other than that you know, you have the obligation to, if you develop anything new, that you continue to share them. And so I think if we want to build a more decentralized seed system as well as food system, it's important to consider, you know, who is developing new varieties of plants and, you know, where do we, where do we want our, our money to, you know, do we want to support sort of independent plant breeders that are working to develop varieties that are suitable for low input or organic systems? Or do we want to support you know, mega corporations and and actually seed is definitely a place where you can where you can make an impact with that.
0: If I were just a backyard gardener and let's say I am using Aussie seeds to grow corn one year and then the next year I want to give some of the seeds to my neighbor, could I just direct them to the Aussie pledge and be an Aussie distributor in that way or do you need to like formally sign up?
1: Yeah, so um, sharing seeds is totally acceptable um, and, and welcomed. I mean, officially on our website, we're listing sort of more uh, commercial sources or, or plant breeders who are breeding new varieties, but obviously if a gardener is saving seeds and wants to distribute those, um, you know, that is welcomed under under the pledge as well. And just, you know, asking that people sort of maintain uh, the pledge and, and make sure people know that those seeds come with these mm-hmm. uh, freedoms, basically.
0: And so, you know, we have all these different words that we hear when we're buying seeds like heirloom or open pollinator or hybrid. So how does Aussie fit into those categories?
1: Open pollinated versus hybrid would be referring to the actual biology of how the plant was bred. And so currently all of the Aussie pledge varieties are open pollinated varieties. Um, we don't discriminate against hybrids, although um, since Inbred lines are generally used as a trade secret type of mm-hmm. protection mechanism by companies. Um, we haven't had any pledged varieties at this point. And um, almost
0: all hybrid seeds won't breed true. Correct,
1: they won't breed true in the first generation. An heirloom um, doesn't uh, really have an official definition, <laughs> other than that you know usually it's, it, it refers to a variety that's been around for a, a long time. It doesn't actually have like any real quality or or other uh, defined characteristic other than that. Um, and so sometimes we like to say, you know, some of these varieties might be heirlooms of tomorrow and that uh, those were developed by someone at a certain point in the past and have been, you know, continued to be grown and had seeds saved of them um, over time. And so plant breeding has been done by people for 10,000 years, like since the beginning of agriculture. And so those were just, you know, heirlooms sort of referred to, well, this variety was developed at a point in time and, you know, we're continuing to um, sort of breed new things that that work in different places.
0: Speaking of the uh, beginning of agriculture, that's a good segue into talking a little bit about how Aussie and seed saving in general might be of interest to people that listen to the Low Tech podcast because um, for those of you that are coming from the Aussie side of things, um, the Low Tech Institute is a newly formed organization and we're interested in identifying usually non-industrial solutions for the world after fossil fuels aren't so abundant and particularly interested in how we house, clothe, and feed ourselves. And so seeds obviously come into that umbrella pretty well. One of the things we talk a lot about is fossil fuels because they're going to run out at some point, whether or not that's going to be in a couple of years in some great catastrophe or you know, slowly over time, they're going to run out. And right now we know that industrial agriculture is completely dependent on fossil fuels from tilling to fertilizing to Uh, harvesting to processing to refrigerating to transporting to preparing it's all fossil fuel driven Um, as far as seeds are concerned it's kind of difficult to say what agriculture is going to be like when fossil fuels aren't so abundant so we talk a lot about self-sufficiency at the institute and so can you talk a little bit about aussie and how aussie varieties might benefit those thinking about self-sufficiency and growing their own food Definitely.
1: If you want to grow your own food, you have to have seeds from somewhere, whether it's buying them from somewhere or saving your own. And so um, what we really are trying to do is create a more decentralized system of uh, seed development and seed saving. We want people saving more seeds and we want more people breeding new varieties of of plants. Um, I don't think you can have too, you can't have too many people doing that. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is sort of make sure that seeds remain available for people to continue to improve on and that they have the freedom to save their own um, and, and that they have the freedom to continue to, you know, make new crosses or, or um, develop something that might be really uh, suitable for their particular farm or garden or location. Um, a lot of the, the people that we are working with currently you know are developing you know are our, our breeding varieties with that in mind with sort of really adapting them to low input gardening or, or farming systems um, and trying to make sure that they're you know resilient to some degree so that that a lot of them are not really uniform varieties necessarily that there's some genetic diversity that's actually maintained so that hopefully uh, they might be a little better at withstanding some
0: <laughs> changes in climate um, and we've kind of- just skirted around this issue a couple of times I wanted to ask about the seeds that we find in catalogs today are you know usually distributed across the entire country right um and so I want to know do you guys deal much with the propagation of uh, land races and can you also explain what land races are for those that might not know already
1: yeah so um a land race um is generally a, a sort of a more diverse. Um, population of a plant um, that you know is maintained for certain characteristics maybe over time but often has quite a lot of diversity within that population
0: land races are often called that because they're tied to a specific region is that right
1: yeah um often you know they've been maintained in in a place over a long period of time so you often hear about the native american corn land races um or there's a lot of quinoa land races maintained in bolivia and peru Um, And so, yeah, it can be tied to a certain location. It can also refer to, more generally, to a sort of diverse
0: um, population. Would there be a higher propensity for local sharing, and local seed, uh, I guess, adaptation over time?
1: A lot of the folks that we're working with are focused on their specific region, like adapting seed for the Northwest or the Northeast or, you know, the Southeast, um, and sort of finding, um, you know, the the right, you know, the varieties that work best in those situations. and so You
0: mean, you mean I shouldn't just go through the seed catalog and pick the prettiest?
1: <laughs> sometimes that works, but um, sometimes it's better to have something that you, you know will actually grow in your climate.
0: Not that, you know, we're going to be in our homes operating at the level of professional seed collectors, but if I wanted to save seeds at home and I haven't done it before, um, what would be the basic steps?
1: I would uh, get a book because... It's going to be hard for me to talk about sort of all of, you know, every plant has a slightly different biology, sure. which means that uh, the seed saving for each plant is slightly different. But um, there are a few really great resources out there. So the, um, a couple of newer ones are um, the Seed Garden, which is a Seed Savers Exchange publication, and uh, the Organic Seed Grower are both, you know, have technical steps on how you save a whole bunch of different types of plants. If you're interested in doing some breeding, uh, Carol Deppie's, um Breed Your Own Vegetable Varieties is a pretty technical but do-it-yourself manual for how you'd go about, you know, making some crosses and actually doing some selections yeah. mm-hmm. to adapt things to your particular yeah. garden or farm.
0: For, I mean, for example, like I've always saved tomato seeds with the uh, jar and water method, can you describe that briefly? If
1: you have a tomato plant that you particularly like, most uh, tomatoes are self-crossing or um, self-pollinating. So if you're saving the seeds um, from a plant you really like, you're likely to you know continue to, you're, you're gonna get a plant that also is very similar to that. And so um, tomatoes actually require a bit of a fermentation process, which is what you're describing with the jar. Um, so if you take out those seeds and have a little bit of the pulp left, um, you actually let them ferment for a little and then uh, before sort of uh, letting them dry off and you can clean off the pulp at that point um, and then saving them that way and you want to make sure that when you're saving seeds they all sort of have a different lifespan, they are alive it's something that I think we often don't think about is that seeds are actually alive um, and that it's important to sort of maintain them in a pretty dry environment if you don't have like a a seed cooler somewhere that's cool and and pretty dry but where they're not going to fluctuate a lot in moisture content
0: so i should get them out of the envelopes i have them in and put them in jars or something like that with a seal
1: well actually envelopes are okay because they you don't get condensation that way so jars would also work but yeah envelopes are actually a pretty good way of doing it Um, just as long as it doesn't get really humid or something where Mm -hmm. or really hot
0: does Aussie have any uh, events or upcoming things that you'd like to uh, draw attention to?
1: Those of us from Aussie speaking at a number of you know, different events around the country um, a lot. And we usually try to post those on our Facebook page before people um, are speaking. And then uh, if you'd like more information, we have a lot of information on our website. Um, on the Get Involved page, there's a whole resources panel with a lot of different articles. Everything from sort of popular press to um, more technical um, seed related stuff to um, more academic, um, sort of the intellectual idea behind um, where this all started. Um, and then uh, we also have a currently online magazine publication um, with a lot of different articles there, and those are all posted in the blog section of our website. So that is www.os seeds.org so (laughs) o-s-s-e-e-d-s.org
0: great well thank you to claire from the open source seed initiative for talking with me this week i posted a link to their website on our website and i also posted a quick link to a youtube video that shows you how to save a couple different types of seeds in case you wanted a visual to go along with our little discussion And I owe you all an apology, I don't have a DIY feature this week. Uh, It was a busy week, and we've been working really hard to get the legal framework of the Institute together and off the ground so that we can get on to doing more hands-on research, but it is the winter, and it is kind of a slow time for DIY sorts of things. So this week instead, I did bring the Story of Stuff, which is an organization that looks at products we produce, how they're used, and discarded. It's a kind of a long-ish video at 21 minutes, but it's worth watching. What I was really struck with was how we all seem to think that a rising GDP equals a better life for those in the country. But but if you think about something like a car accident and catastrophic medical care, these raise the GDP, while well, just getting to and from work without an accident doesn't really do as much to the GDP. So it seems like this sort of measurement where a car crash measures higher on the scale than just going about your daily life, that doesn't seem to really be the right measuring stick that we should be using. And maybe we should think about recalibrating that. The Story of Stuff video has a lot of other great ideas. They've actually inspired us to open a tool library once we have a formal location. And a tool library is basically where you can come in and borrow a very specific tool, say you need a jigsaw, but you don't want to go out and buy a jigsaw to do one single project you can come borrow it from us and then bring it back when you're done. That way, we really utilize the things we have instead of necessarily producing a whole bunch more of tools that are just going to be sitting idle. The tools we have will be used much more often than if each one of us owned them all individually. So more news on that later. Check out the Story of Stuff video on our blog and stay tuned for a DIY feature hopefully next week. And now let's take a look at this week in low-tech news. So I suppose one story from Vice's motherboard this week showcases the ultimate low-tech DIY build, where a guy from northern Wisconsin built a planetarium in his backyard. It cost a small fortune over the gradual build, but this planetarium has a dome of hand-painted stars that rotates around the audience. Now, hand-painted stars makes it sound a little hokey, But it actually looks pretty darn good, and you can see that through our Weekly News Roundup blog post out today. We have another post on homemade potting soil for microgreens. That's certainly worth a look. That's from the Natural Building blog. And really, the rest of the week's news centered on the quickly changing events coming out of Washington. And the transition of the new administration and the policies regarding scientific research. If nothing else, it is a fascinating time. Those are some of the stories we're following in Low Tech News. To see links to the stories we've discussed and more, visit the Low Tech website, Low Tech Institute, that's all one word, dot wordpress dot com, or by following the link in our podcast profile. That's all we have this week for the Low Tech Podcast. This podcast is put out by the Low Technology Institute. At the moment, the show is hosted, edited, and distributed by me, Scott Johnson. This episode was recorded at the Low Tech Recording Room in Madison, Wisconsin. Our intro music was Tomorrow Comes off the album Songs for Paris by Dana Boulay. That song is under the Creative Commons Attribution and Non-Commercial License. This podcast is under the Creative Commons Attribution and Sharealike License. That means you're free to use and share it as long as you give us credit. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio, and please give us a rating because it helps boost our audience reach. I'd be happy to have your feedback, and you can find out more information about the Low Technology Institute at institute, That's all lowtechinstitute.wordpress.com. Word, you can follow us on Twitter at low underscore techno, and also reach me directly at lowtechinstitute at gmail.com. Thanks, and take care.